Maybe you could sense a, a trend in our songs this morning. The only one I couldn't do, or I couldn't do, but I didn't do that would make it very obvious would be, on Christ the solid rock we stand. And maybe I should have done that, but that's okay. Those were wonderful songs to sing. How firm a foundation we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is essentially what we will be uh, talking about today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 and prepare for that, starting in verse 46 is where we will be, and take note of our questions that are on the screen, that will remain on the screen, as I cue my brother back there, until otherwise known. Questions will be on the, on the screen there, and I will go ahead and read those really quickly. Uh, how do we know, question number one, how do we know we are building on the right foundation? Number two, what sets apart the rock of Jesus as our foundation from other foundations? And question number three, what is the foundation of your house? Of your house. What is the foundation of your house? Don't drop, don't drop it. Okay. Very good. So as you continue to write those down, take note of, of those. Uh, this morning we're going to finish... Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, uh, which will be end right there, uh, uh, chapter 6 of, of, of Luke, and next week we will start uh, chapter 7. The last time we were in Luke, two weeks ago, uh, we, we looked in verses 43 and 45, where Jesus was comparing us to two fruit trees. Uh, it didn't matter the fruit, the kind, whatever, uh, but just two different fruit trees, and these Fruit trees are known by what kind of fruit they produce. So the untrained eye may not be able to look at a tree and determine what kind of tree it is unless maybe they go up and look at the fruit and say, that's an apple tree because it produces apples. That's an orange tree because it produces oranges, right? And this is one of the things Jesus was telling us about. But also, from the tree and from the fruit, Not only can we determine what kind of tree it is by the fruit that it's producing, but we also can determine the quality of the fruit. The quality of the fruit, and by the quality of the fruit, we will know the quality of the tree, whether it's a good tree or a bad tree. If it's a good tree, then it'll have good roots and it'll produce good fruit, and if not, it'll produce bad fruit. And the point of Jesus using that metaphor is not just so that we would all be a little bit more inept in our agriculture, if you didn't take any uh, FFA classes or anything like that. But he wants us to know that the root of our being, who we are, our hearts, is where the fruit comes from. Where our fruits come from, where all of our behaviors come from, all of our actions, all of our deeds, all of our thoughts, all of our desires all come from uh, our hearts. And what determines the kind of fruit we produce are the kind of roots of our lives are good hearts or bad hearts. Our hearts are the center of everything that we are. And when we have new hearts that are given to us by God through regeneration, united in Christ, we're given new hearts, we're given these 
new roots that will produce greater desires and greater treasures and, i.e., back to the metaphor, good fruit. Right? This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And in that good fruit, Jesus mentioned one of those. How we speak. Right? He says in verse 45, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So right here, Jesus is framing for us the fruit, the fruit that is good, in terms, in one way, in how we speak. But does that mean, so now kind of transitioning in today, and kind of bringing these passages together, does that mean that the good fruit of a faithful heart can only be determined by a confession? Or a, like we use, a profession. Right? So is the good fruit of a faithful heart, can it only be determined by a good confession or profession of faith in Jesus? Good question. Let me put it another way. Is saving faith in Christ or is a person a disciple, a true disciple, only because they have expressed or exercised some profession of faith? I think that's the question that we're going to be drawing at this morning as we look at this, this text. Many would say yes. Many would answer that question. Yes, profess faith in Christ. And we can even look at some other texts, Romans 10, 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you, then you shall be saved. And there's certainly some, some right there. And Jesus is going to tell us that absolutely we come to him and we hear his word and we do his word and things like that. We will see this is right. But is there more to it? Not in how we can be saved, but to, deter, to determine if we are in Christ. So let's look at our text. Let's look at our text, right? Uh, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do... He doesn't say that. I got it backwards. And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on ground with a, without a foundation. And with, when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. And that ends the sermon on the plain for us in Luke chapter 6. One thing that I really enjoy doing, and I don't get to do it enough, is, is I like to build things. And I've actually realized that in the last five, or five years or so, that I like to build things. Um, and my family is actually quite talented, I think, in, in building things. My, my dad... Uh, actually built with his own hands our house that we lived in. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like a terrible house. It was an awesome house. I mean, you, you wouldn't even could tell that a professional hadn't done, you know, done this. And, and, and he built our, our house, and we lived in it, and he was able to sell it, and it's still there. Uh, and awesome, like my dad did this. And so it runs in our genes, right? It runs in my genes. My brother has picked up this too, my older brother, and you can see it really excel in, in him too. And he's turned a business into it. 
not contracting, but just doing different odd jobs and being able to, to build. And, and I got just a little bit of that, right? I, I got just a, a little bit of, of that, that building gene of, of wanting to, to, to do that and, and, and do, as best as the, to do the best thing, the best uh, building ways that I can and, and build stuff. And, and, and not everything that I have done has turned out to complete, has turned into complete uh, disasters. Um, and one thing that I've learned in, in building, in the process of building, and constructing things is, is more than just having good materials and having good tools is, and the right tools, and that, of course, those are all important things, the right tool for the right job and things like that, um, is, is that I have learned that you've got to have a good plan. Yeah, you've got to have a good plan, and with that good plan, then you've got to have a little bit of know-how, right? A little bit of know-how on, on, on what to do, where to start with, because if you don't, you're going to waste money, you're going to waste time, and you're going to waste materials, i.e. you're going to get frustrated, and then it'll become firewood, right? So uh, I've learned you've got to start off well. And so a couple years ago, my wife put me on the project of building our family uh, a dining room table. And, and you know how she, she starts off with several other building things that she wants me to do that are on the list. And she shows me Pinterest pictures, right? Does any of those wives do that? I, Ooh, this is great. You know, let's do this to our house or let's do this, right? And, and because I didn't want to be on the fail videos or the fail pictures, you ever seen like, ooh, Pinterest, and then the fail pictures, right? Because I didn't want my table to be on the right side of the, of the, of the fail, um, I, I decided to, to really go uh, get some advice and get some, some leadership and get some guidance on this, because really, I've never built a table bef before, and I didn't want to waste money, I didn't want to waste time, and I didn't really have the right tools to get, a job, to get the job done, but I had a friend who, who did. And this friend led me to, to come up with a good plan and to start off with a, with a good foundation. And with the good foundation of that table, we started with the, the frame, right? We didn't start with the countertop. We, we knew what we wanted to do, or the tabletop. We started with a, with a good frame, making sure that it was straight, that it was level, that it was going to work. Uh, so it needed to be the right base to hold up this particular top. It needed to be right, because the top was going to be the most expensive part of the whole building process. And so the frame had to be just right. We had to start at the, at the very bottom. And, and just for your own knowledge, it is holding up like a champ, right? The table's been completed. It's, it's holding up like a champ. It's taking its beating. It's taking its bruises right now. It's got some nicks. It's got some distressing. Looks good, you know, natural distressing. And it's holding up really well so far. And the same goes for a, a building a house, right? You have to start off right. You have to start off in, with step one, preparing the foundation. However, wherever you are in Georgia or if you're in Florida or you're out west, your foundations are going to look different, but all the, the, the point is the same, is that the foundation has to be right. If it's going to be straight, if it's going to be level and firm and square and, and correct, the rest of the house will not be trash, right? Because if your foundation's not right, your house is going to be wrecked, unleveled. Your drywall's going to crack, your roof's going to slide, things like that. And this is the idea what Jesus is getting about in building a house just like the fruit trees. He's not really talking about building a house. He's not giving us advice on construction. But what he's doing is, is he's talking about our lives once again. And that he's saying that, that each and every one of us, we are the houses. And that each and every one of us, we are building a house. I mean, as we grow and as our life progresses, we are building a house called our lives. 
called our life. And if we are to persevere and to endure, then that house has to have a firm foundation. Has to have a firm foundation. Has to be deep and it has to be secure. And this foundation is the place where, where which we place all of our hopes. It's the place where, where we, we lay all the things that we are hoping for in this life. That is our foundation. And so the first thing that we need to see is, is that Jesus is driving out here and asking us this question. What is the best place for us to lay the foundation of our lives? If our houses are being built, you've got to build it on something. And so Jesus is asking us this question and driving at this morning, what's the best foundation to build on? Here's the second thing he's telling us. Remember earlier I asked the question, um, is saving faith in Christ only expressed in exercising our professions of faith, private or public? I asked that question just a few minutes ago. Verse 46, Jesus answers the question for us by, by asking a rhetorical question in a sense. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you to do. Is Jesus really asking or saying, don't call me Lord because I'm not? No, he's not. He's not saying he's not Lord. He is Lord. We've seen this time and time again. But in this repetition, actually, of, of the Lord, Lord, it's actually an, an emphatic way of, of, of intimacy, right? So we, we would use this words. We would say, you know, in poems, my dear, my dear, or my love, my love. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we see, we see God expressed this way, God, my God, my God, my Savior, my Savior. In the New Testament, Jesus even re- says it to God, his Father, while he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from uh, Psalm 121. So what is he saying here? So then is Lord, Lord the wrong confession? Is it the wrong confession? Is it the wrong words of a, of a right profession of faith? No, I don't think so. I think what he's saying here is the, the, the kind of profession that would seem that would come from good trees sounds kind of like Lord, Lord, right? Like that's a good confession. That's a, that's a, that is what someone who professes faith in Christ would say. Lord. Matthew 7 gives us more insight on, from the Sermon uh, on the Mount of this passage and almost quotes the exact same verse, but gives us a little bit more. Matthew 7, 21-23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, What? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I personally think that this is the, uh, one of the most scariest words I think Jesus ever says. And the reason why I think it's the most scariest words Jesus ever says is because it is entirely possible for us to live our whole entire life with a right confession and even in some ways produce some kind of works that looked good, some good works, even miraculous works, right? I mean, look, didn't I cast out demons in your name and yet still not have saving faith at all? I mean, how, how scary is, is that? And see, Jesus' intent, though, is, is not some cruel game of bait and switch to make you think you're a believer, but then all around say, nope, just kidding. No, in fact, I think it's the exact opposite. The intent of the Word of God is to go straight to, to our hearts and cause us to ask the deep questions of faith like our passage is asking this morning. 
How do we know we are building on the right foundation? So what is the right foundation? And then how do we know we are building on the right foundation? Two great questions that we need to answer this morning. And in doing so, in doing so, in answering these questions, I also want you to see two things on the Sermon on the Plain. Is I want you to see that we have a deep and firm foundation in Christ. In Christ alone. That's my, that, that's my, uh, um, my premise this morning that I want to tell you and share with you that that foundation is only in Christ. And the second thing that I want to show you is that only in Christ that foundation alone is the one that will persevere, that will last. And we'll, we'll get there in just a few minutes. So those first two questions I, I asked in the beginning, we're going to answer in this, in this first point of a deep foundation. All right, so I've already established, we've already established that everyone is building a house, right? Every day, with every decision we make, everything that we do, every behavior, every action, is, is, uh, our houses are building more and more, and that house is either built on a deep, firm foundation or it is not. That's what Jesus is saying here. And what Jesus is telling us is that when the, through this, the little parable of the houses, is that when the storms of the trials and temptations come in, in our life, how we deal with those, how we respond to those, will reveal or expose what kind of foundation we have, whether it is in Christ or whether it is in something else. And Jesus tells us that those who are truly His disciples not only build their lives on the deep foundation of Him, but they are His disciples because they do not merely claim to be His disciples, but they actually do what, they ta- what He taught them to do. A right confession with our words is not what Jesus says is the test of whether or not we have a firm foundation. But it is obedience. But it is obedience. Obedience to our Savior, obedience to Christ. Another way to put it is this, is that a true disciple of Jesus is a person who comes to look more and more like his teacher. And they're emulating his, their teacher. They are led by his word in their lives because their hearts are fixed on him as their treasure. And when their earthly lives are bombarded by trials and suffering, and persecution, or temptation, the walls are are battered of our houses, this disciple will hold fast because their lives are built on a deep foundation. A foundation that is sure and certain and cannot be shaken. So Jesus Jesus cannot be moved. And and His disciples who build their life on Him, they they know this. Yeah, they know, sure, I'm going to be beaten up. I'm going to be scarred. I'm going to take a little water damage every now and then. But will still remain, will always remain, is the foundation. Because it is set on the rock. Followers of Jesus live their lives led by His Word. And this truth that they are His will be revealed. Not just by what they claim, but by what they do. What they choose. And how they respond to the trials and temptations that come their way. 
You know, over and over again, the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, Jesus' message to His people is, is, is the same. It's, it's this same message that those who are my disciples not only hear my words and believe them, but that belief has an action to it in actually doing them. Believing leads to doing. First John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him, right? It's confessing, Lord, Lord but does not keep His commandments, is what? A liar. And the truth is not in Him. I love this. This is toward the end of John's life. He's kind of just done. He's kind of done playing games and just says, you're a liar. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. Amen. And and, and just to kind of bring this around, those trials... I think is what brings perfection. It's that it's that 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 uh, that firing. It's that that heating and cooling of the steel that makes it stronger and stronger. And so it continues. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there's a huge difference here because when the rubber hits the road, so to speak, of the disciples' lives, not only do they believe in Jesus, but it is that very belief in Jesus and that work of the gospel in their lives that leads them to rest on his promises. So they're not tempted away. They're not tempted away to, to quit. They're not tempted away to, to, to give way that, oh, God must not be real because I'm suffering or I'm, I'm struggling with this temptation or whatever it may be. They do not walk away. But they remain steadfast and trust and rest in Jesus no matter what. It reveals what we believe. It reveals what we believe. So, we do as disciples what we do as disciples, it reveals to us what we believe. So we need to ask the question here. Is Jesus saying, is Jesus saying then that faith, belief, confession, plus our works, things that we do, does that equal salvation? Is that what he's saying? No, he's not. Let me continue. Let me, let me show you a little bit more of what he's talking about. Verses 47, 46 and 47 says, My disciples just don't confess or hear my words, but my disciples are, are those who come to me, hear my words, and they, they do them. I mean, if you look at that, that's essentially what it's saying. My disciples aren't just the, the ones who confess and hear my words, but they're the ones who come to me, hear my words, and does them, and then he shows us what they are like. So it's not that faith plus works equals salvation, but what he says is this. Or or the reason why he's saying it this way is this. The reason why he's saying it that way is because he wants us to also understand that it is easy to claim to be a disciple. It's, It's very easy to say, Lord, Lord, when I need to say, Lord, Lord. Those those are easy things to do. I mean, we said these statistics, but statistics tell us that somewhere around 75% of all Americans claim some kind of belief in the God of the Bible. 75%. 
but we know the reality of this is just so far off. I mean, we're not even on the same planet of the reality. Even in our own context, where we live here in, in, in the Bible Belt, where most people say that they believe in Jesus or even have, have, have prayed to receive Jesus and profess faith in Christ and claim to follow Jesus, but in reality, actually being obedient to the Savior that they confess, that's a whole other ballgame. And what Jesus is saying is, it's not. It's one and the same. It's one and the same. So then, so then how do we know, how do we know then who is a disciple and who isn't? How do you know if you are following Jesus or not? And what he tells us is to do this. He says, look at your life. Look at their lives. Look at their, look at their lives. Look at, look at your life. You see, you may not be able to unearth the foundation completely and and truly see it, but certainly we can see by their choices, responses, their attitudes, their loves, their desires, their priorities, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams will show us what kind of foundation is underneath the house. Whether it is a shallow foundation that will not last when trials come, or is it a deep foundation that will remain steadfast and hold fast? Jesus' disciples do not merely say they are disciples. They confess Christ, they hear His words, and they do them. And that shows the kind of foundation that true disciples have. Let me illustrate it like this for you. To be a member of this church, you must publicly affirm the membership covenant. In fact, we actually make you sign it um, and because that's just, it's a symbol of, of, of you know, covenanting. It's a symbol of kind of contractual agreement in the sense with our culture. We understand what that means. Um, and so we make you sign it. And then every month, when we take the Lord's Supper beforehand, we read the membership covenant and we read it point by point and we ask the membership to say, Amen, after every single point. And it's just because it serves to us a reminder of the covenant, once again, that we've had with one another. Here's what the, the, the preamble of our covenant says. Right? Here's what the preamble says. It says, Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with other believers of sovereign grace as one body in Christ. So there's our preamble. And what the preamble is, it's stating this is what we believe. That we are, this is our Lord, Lord. This is our confession to the Lordship of Christ. And yes, absolutely, our confession must be right. It must be right. But the following points of the covenant then show us now what we are to do. Submitting to the authority of the Scriptures in all things. Participating in the ordinances together. Attending weekly gatherings. Living in community with one another. Regularly tithing. Walking in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Putting to death the sin 
loving others and considering their good over our own, to quickly repent of sin, to submit to the discipline of the church, to submit to the uh, to one another in the leadership of the elders and to pray for the church and to uphold the beliefs of the statement of faith. So, so because of our confession, because of what we believe, now we have underneath these, these do's, right? This is now what we do as an expectation of now being in Christ together, united together, right? And we have all, if you get the list, you can look it up, and they're all seated in Scripture. There's not one, I don't think, one legalistic demand. We're not telling you what to wear on Sundays. We're not telling you what kind of sunglasses to have. We're not telling you what kind of, what kind of drinks you drink and what kind of drinks you shouldn't drink. We're not telling you what kind of food you eat, but we are telling you according to the Scripture, the commands of the Scripture on what to do. So it's very clear on this is what we do. This is what we do. And it's not just what we are made up with, of, but these are examples, though, in, from Scripture of what Jesus is talking about in this passage. These are just examples. His disciples don't just say, yes, I agree. His disciples say, yes, I am doing and actually are doing because of what I believe. Because of Christ is my Savior. Because Christ is my treasure. Because Christ is my foundation. Our doing and our obedience to Jesus is the evidence that we have believed and that we have been forgiven. So we need to hear Jesus' warning. This is just such a, it's kind of a, a warning across the shot, shooting across the bow of our, of our lives against this, this idea of a verbal confession without any kind of transformation or any kind of, of, of obedience. Let me, let me illustrate that and, and just kind of the ridiculousness of it. I'll say this morning, I didn't show up at 9.30 like I normally do. And I actually came rolling in right now. And, and Pastor Bill had to get up here and preach. And, and I, I come rolling in, and we kind of stop. And you guys are worried about me. You might have texted me, whatever it might be. And, and, and I come in, and I, and I just say, brothers, I've had one heck of a morning. Brothers and sisters, I mean, just crazy. It was, it was terrible. Worst thing that I can ever think of happened to me. I was on my way here, got out, left my house right on time, 9.15, I'm on my way, and then I got a flat tire. And I pull over on the side of the road as far as I can, and I begin to proceed to, to change the tire, um, now knowing I'm going to be a little bit late, but I'm going to get this thing changed, and I'm going to get back on the road. And as I'm, I'm, I'm changing the, the tire, and you know one of those big semis that come rolling by with a load of peanuts. You guys have seen those right now. They're, they're flying down the road. And as I'm changing my tire, this guy, who knows what he's doing, he swerves over, and man, he nails me. I mean, he just runs me flat over. I go flying up in the air after he runs me over, and I, I hit the, concrete, the asphalt again, and I, I, I slid like 50, 60 feet on my face. You guys are like, this is a serious story. Like, it actually happened. I love it. I'm actually getting to be a pretty good storyteller. You guys are like, yeah, 
That was a rough morning. So I, I'm sorry that I'm late. I'm, I'm sorry. And, and if I came walking in here and I told you that story, and, and this is what I look like, right? Still not pretty, but not like I got hit by a truck. What would happen? Would you believe me? Would you believe me that, that I just got ran over by a, a semi going 60 miles an hour? My, and my, my, if I did, my physical appearance would be totally transformed. In fact, I probably would be dead. Not probably. I mean, it's like I'm toast, right? Have a funeral. I'm gone. Probably dead. And, and so this is exactly what Jesus, I think, is getting at. Not that people should be ran over by semis, but that if you've been encountered by the gospel, if you've been encountered by the saving grace of God, you have been transformed. Like a truck hitting you. It marks us. It changes us. It's not just saying, I got hit by a truck. It's actually, I did. I'm at the hospital. Call 911. I've been totally transformed. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's, the, he's warning people who are, who are just being respectful to him, who are just giving an intellectual nod to him, or maybe will we'll listen to him. There's people like that, right? Pilate was like that. Pontius Pilate was like that. But those who are transformed will follow his word, not just hearing, but doing his words. Those are the ones who are built on the foundation that will not be moved. And the one who hears his word and does them or does not do them is not a disciple, no matter what words they say. There's no foundation. And when the storms of life come, the floods rise, and the house will fall to a great ruin. Huge point for us in our modern day church. And the church has been inundated with a lot of people who profess, who profess belief in, in, in Christ, but with very few doers of the Word, as James would put it. Doers who have been transformed. This hasn't been necessarily always the fault of the professor because sometimes what has been taught and preached wholesale, maybe just to be try to make as many converts as possible, get as many people to say, Lord, Lord, as possible. And that's not right. Then these professors, they get baptized and they become members, which has a huge, uh, uh, huge consequences of itself. And they gives them false assurance, even in their own lives, of that they're in Christ, despite the little evidence of obedience and transformation. This is not only dangerous, but it's reckless. It's just foolish. I remember a time, I remember one time a concerned mother came to me. And, and she was wanting desperately some assurance that her son was a Christian d- despite his worldly living. Um, her evidence over and over to me and, and what she was trusting in was, well, there was this one time that he professed Christ. He made a profession of faith and he even got baptized and he's even still a member at this church. But her son had no evidence of transformation. No, no evidence of, of that one-time profession whatso, whatsoever, that it was real, that it was transformation. And heartbroken as I was, as she was believing something that wasn't right, I began to share with her some scriptures that my hope would not give her a false hope, 
of, of a false assurance that her, that her son is probably a, a believer to continue to trust in this particular profession, but rather I encouraged her to pray for her son's salvation and to believe that Christ brings transformation and will bring transformation in his life if he is saved. You see, a faith that does not draw us close, closer to Jesus, that does not have a desire to hear his words, hear the words of Jesus, to know him more, does not actively do, do in obedience the commands of Jesus or, or begins to look like Jesus, is not really practicing faith or a disciple at all, no matter what the confession. True faith of a disciple of Jesus is one that follows him in obedience, in active obedience, obedience to his word. And when we do so, we begin to look more and more like our Savior. That's the sure foundation. The one who places and builds their house upon the sure foundation of Christ, the living hope. So over and over, I told you throughout the New Testament, there are scripture verses, and I'm not going to be able to read them this morning, but, but there's several verses throughout the New Testament from Matthew 12, Luke, 18, or, uh, Luke 11, John 13, 14, 15, Paul in Galatians 6, uh, um, 1 John, like we already read this morning, over and over and over again, the same things are saying, that if we have come to know him, then we will keep his commandments. The evidence of this is so overwhelming. So I have to ask this question again, just to bring more clarity, to make sure we understand what we're saying here. Is Jesus telling us that faith plus our works, the works of our obedience, equals forgiveness and justification and salvation? No, that is not what we're saying. He is saying again that you will know that you believe. You will know that you believe, right? So this answers the question, then how do I know I'm building on a right foundation? You will know that you believe, that your confession is true, that you are my, my disciple, if your hope is on me and me alone. And then our actions will reveal it. What we do. What we do reveals who we are. How you live will show you what you believe. Every response to temptation Trials, actions, every choice we make will show whether we are on the foundation, on the rock, or something else. So what is Jesus calling his disciples then to build their lives on? The rock. Well, what's the rock? It's not Dwayne Johnson. What's the rock? The rock is him. The rock is me. I'm the rock. Jesus says, I'm I am the rock, me, and my teachings, my word. He is calling all of his disciples to constantly conform all their thoughts, their desires, their actions, their affections, their behaviors, and words all to the gospel. All that we do is to be in subjection to the word of God and to the, and to the gospel, that it, the gospel filters everything we do. It filters all that, we, all that we can do. This is what it means. This is the action in these verses. This is what it means to build and to live our lives then on the, the rock of, of Christ. So what about the building process of, of a house? Like you start in different places. I've already told you that. What, what does it mean for us? 
right? Every, every action that we take is laying a brick or putting up a stud or putting in drywall, whatever, whatever things you want to you put there. Every, every thought is just an, an action and thing is kind of putting up one, one more, one more of those. Every desire is putting on another, laying another brick of our lives and building of our, our lives. And soon enough, our lives will begin to look like a house. And then that structure of that house will then begin to reveal or be a witness of the foundation that we have. We build upon the rock. And all the building pieces that begin to shape our house begins to reveal who the foundation is, who Christ is. And then we will persevere, not because we are building our houses in such a great strong way, but because of Jesus. We, we, we persevere because Jesus is our all-sufficient rock. A rock that will not move. When our lives stand on the rock of, of Christ, we will stand in strength on His foundation. Not in the strength of our house, but in Him. John 15, 9-11 says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's assurance, perseverance there. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Meaning this, our obedience, our coming, hearing, and doing because of what we've believed and because of the work of the gospel in our lives is meant to lead us to joy. It's meant to lead us to what life really is, abundant joy. Actually, it says there that your joy may be full, right? You ever overfilled a cup, how annoying that is, right? It just kind of keeps overflowing, right? When I go to like a drinking fountain, I want my cup full because I want my money's worth, right? It's like, it's like that. It's filling our, our cup all the way with, with, with joy. It is, it is a life that is meant to live us, to bring us to life and joy. And not just any joy, but a, but a Jesus kind of joy. And this Jesus kind of joy is the kind of joy that Jesus experiences. It's the kind of joy that Jesus, Jesus experiences in this all-satisfying relationship that He has with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in the, in the Holy Trinity. It's that kind of is that, it's that, that kind of joy. It's that kind of satisfying joy. It's not lacking. It's full. It's complete. It's not missing. And this kind of life of obedience that Jesus is calling us to is leading us to that kind of joy. He's not, so, so it's not robbing from us. God is not robbing life from you. God is not robbing joy from you in His commands, in His obedience. In fact, it's meant to lead us the other way. It's meant to push us in the other way to experience joy and flourishing and thriving. Having joy doesn't mean that we're not going to weep or we're not going to grieve. doesn't mean we're not going to have pain. doesn't mean we're not going to have suffering. That's life. We live in a fallen world. But joy is a settled peace and a living hope. 
Joy is a settled peace and a living hope that, that despite whatever may come my way or whatever may come your way, we can rest in Christ because we are safe there. And that gives us joy. You ever experienced joy amongst tears of grief? How powerful those emotions are? Not only will we have joy, but this also means that this rock will not disappoint. This rock will not disappoint. Many people try to attempt to live a Christian life in this kind of this half-hearted Christian kind of way. Um, and I think it's because they're, they're half and half because they, they feel like that if they're all in, they're going to be disappointed and they're going to miss out. And what Jesus is telling us here in Luke 6 and John 15 in that if, our, if we place our lives on the, the rock of Him and we're believing in the Gospel, then we will not fail because He will not fail. He will not disappoint. It's an abundant joy. It's a full joy. We will always fail. We will always disappoint. The foundations that we attempt to live our lives will always fail and will always sink underneath the weight and the heaviness of our lives. And the reason is, is because they're not meant to bear the house. They're not meant to bear the house of your life. Worldly pleasures, right? Think of all the great things that you can buy if I gave you a million dollars. It's not enough. It's not enough to, to bear the weight of your house when the storm comes. Because death will still come. Judgment will still come. It's all sand. It cannot bear that weight. But Christ says, I can. I can. I, I'm the rock. Makes Dwayne Johnson look pathetic. Because he's getting old, isn't he? Watch his last movie. Never mind, it's probably terrible. Whatever you're building on, other than the rock of Christ, will always fail. Whether it be your relationships, if you're kind of building your life on someone else, they are going to fail you. If you're building it upon your, your spouse, they're going to fail you. If you're building it upon sports, hey, this has been a year. Fail you. Jobs, fail you. Children. Children make terrible gods. And yet people do it every day. Children, wealth, travel, leisure, pleasure, drug, alcohol, sex, whatever it may be, all of these things are terrible gods and are false foundations. They look good, and you may be able to build your house on it for a while, but what comes? The floods. So we can be deceived. We can be deceived. We can be deceived to this destruction and the potential of this destruction. You see, the one thing about this, this passage that, that I think is inevitable is that the floodwaters are going to come. I think that's kind of the, be, the, the behind the scenes there, that, that the floodwaters are going to come, the rain's going to come, and, and the rain's going to come on the righteous and the wrong. Both will experience the destructive floodwaters of, of life, trial, suffering, sickness, hardship, uh, grief, and loss, and even death. It's inescapable for all of us who live in a fallen world, and eventually for everyone, judgment. There's no amount of wealth, popularity, family, name, or reputation that can shield you from these realities. Doesn't matter. Just shows how expensive a funeral you can have. It all is the same. Death is an equalizer in, in all. 
but we will experience, when we all experience the floods of life, in the end, we all will face the great flood of God's judgment. So whether you're going through a storm now or you're going through the floods now and you see the waters rising or you see the weather report that's about to come in your life, the reality is, is we need a firm foundation, a solid ground. This is why this passage is so good for us and asking us the questions about our foundation. What is the best foundation? Christ. How do we do it? We obey His words. We trust in Him and we obey His words. We're all still building projects. I get that. We all need renovations after every day. Broken pipes, cracked drywall, grass needs to be cut, toilets need to be scrubbed, garage doors won't open, leaky faucets, weeds need to be pulled, trees need trimming. You get the point. This is us. We're all broken homes and need a despair and need repair. But the one thing that we can be assured is that despite of the, the constant maintenance and upgrades to our, founda- uh, to our homes, we have a sure foundation, and that is Christ. A foundation that will not change, a foundation that will not shift no matter what comes our way. A foundation that can bear the weight of this life. A foundation that can bear the weight of your sin and carry it away. So we press on and we press into his words and we continue in his obedience. Brothers and sisters, friends, I ask you this morning, are you building your house, your life on the rock of the person and work of Jesus Christ? You see, the question is not whether you can be good enough to be the foundation. The great question of this life is, are we trusting in the only one whose life is sufficient for our salvation, whose death has provided for our foundation, whose resurrection offers new life and great joy? If your answer is yes to this question, then we must look at our lives and ask, do our deeds and the evidence of our lives match the confession of my mouth? Let's pray. Now, Father, as we respond, I pray that we would we would respond, God, uh, correctly, rightly, honestly, in answering these questions. We do give you such such great thanks for the foundation, the foundation of of the rock that's solid, that will not shift, that will not move pray that you lead us now in our, our time of response for, for your glory and for your renown. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.